Well, a movie that I really like um, is called Stranger Than Fiction. And it's an interesting movie because it features uh, a main character played by uh, Will uh, Ferrell, which is kind of weird, actually, because he's normally very sarcastic, but he's a boring um, auditor. And what's different in this movie is that he goes through his boring day, but he hears the voice of a narrator in his head describing what he's about to do or is currently doing. And he can actually hear this. And, and the, the author that's writing the story of this character, his name is uh, Harold uh, Crick, and then uh, Emma Thompson is, is playing the author. And so it's her voice in Harold Crick's head. And she's describing all these different things that he's about to do. And he's, he's really going crazy about this. And so he doesn't know how to get help. And he finally goes to Dustin Hoffman's character, who's an English professor, and says, I think I'm being written into a story. And, and Dustin Hoffman, uh, the professor Jules Hilbert is his name, starts asking him all these really off-the-wall questions. And, and then um, Harold Crick says, what do these questions have to do with anything? And the professor says, nothing. The only way to find out what story you're in is to determine what stories you're not in. Odd as it may seem, I've just ruled out half of Greek literature, seven fairy tales, ten Chinese fables, and determined conclusively that you're not King Hamlet, Scout Finch, Miss Marple, or Frankenstein's monster. (laughs) And it's really a fantastic movie, and I, I don't need to go any further in that, but the point here is knowing what story you're in. Harold Crick is trying to figure out what's going to happen, what story is he in. And it's really important for us to ask the same question. What story are we in? And maybe, as the professor advised, it's to figure out what story we're not in. Because there are competing stories and storylines, narratives, if you will, that we subscribe to. So I want to ask the question, what story are you in? Now we're looking at this account of the Acts of the Apostles from the Bible, the first century church, and there's a story that they're in, a meta-narrative, if you will, a big picture. And one of the things that you'll learn about the Acts is it doesn't come to a conclusion. When you get to chapter 28, we're left kind of hanging. The apostle Paul's under house arrest in Rome. The church is suffering great persecution, but is spreading like wildfire and growing. The Holy Spirit's doing all this interesting stuff, and then it just stops. The reason is because We're in that story. It's just 2,000 years have gone by, but it's the same story. The Acts of the Apostles is still being written through you and through me and through the church for 2,000 years. That's what's going on. And I love how there's a church planning group called Acts 29. They've named themselves appropriately because that's the next chapter that is being written but hasn't been published yet. And much like Harold Crick, For those who listen, there is a voice of a narrator describing what is happening. The Holy Spirit is speaking to his church. He's narrating what's going on. And for those who listen, we're part of that story in a different way than those who aren't listening. So I want to ask you this morning, who are you and what do you do? What is your identity, your gifts, your call, your your smaller story in the big story? And then what are you doing with that? And here's my main my main point this morning is that God is building his church through gifted people who listen to the Holy Spirit. And I'd like to look at this text and one other one from Acts under those three headings. God is building his church. That's the first one. The second is through gifted people. That's the second one. And the third one is who listen to the Holy Spirit. So God is building gifted people and listening to the Holy Spirit. Now this morning I had only four or five verses read from Acts chapter 13. 
Um, and this is a picture of a cosmopolitan church that's really amazing. They have people in there that are in a wide swath of economic um, situations. They have multi-ethnic in there. There are black and white people. There are Middle Eastern people. There are people with differing gifts. And they are doing all sorts of coordinated things because the Holy Spirit is guiding them. This is in the city of Antioch, the ancient city of Antioch, which actually is still a city today. In fact, I, I, I zoomed in on Google Earth to see specifically what it looks like. It's right on the border of Syria and Turkey. And if you know, kind of in your mind, the Mediterranean Sea, if you were to look to the northeast corner of that, right in kind of the elbow of the Mediterranean is where this town was and is. And in modern day terms, it's Antakya. Antioch is called Antakya. And it still kind of has the same name even. And back then, it was one of the three largest cities in the entire empire. Rome was first, Alexandria in Egypt was second, and then Antioch was third. And it became the launching platform for the first overseas missions as Paul and Barnabas set sail and they go out to the island of Cyprus and they start going out to non-Jews. What happens here is some of the people who came to Antioch didn't just talk about Jesus with Jews. They started talking about Jesus with Hellenists, which is a term for Greek-speaking non-Jews. So they were telling the gospel to everyone. And the, the church was growing. God was at work. He was building his church. Now, this was about a half a million people that lived there. And what had happened was uh, Stephen was martyred, the first martyr of the church. And then a huge persecution broke out on Christians. And so they had to scatter Remember, my first point here is that God is building his church. And they scattered, and the Lord used that as a way of spreading the mission of Christ. So in that day, maybe it was persecution that caused the, the, the church to disperse. An interesting thing is happening right here in Fleming Island in Jacksonville in our day is that God is still working through people group migration, but he's now in some ways bringing people right to us. So we are a church that indeed sends globally, and we have missionaries right now in Peru uh, this week uh, that we've sent overseas, but there are people coming constantly into our own neighborhood that don't know the gospel, and the Lord is using that. It is Jesus who is building his church. Now, I want you to understand a little of the backstory here in, in Antioch. If, if you uh, were to jump back in the Bible two chapters. In chapter 11, we find out how this all plays out and how this church became so, so full of really gifted leaders. I'm just going to read you seven or so verses from chapter 11. It says, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who were coming to Antioch, and they spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. Remember, it was the Lord who's building his church. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came, he saw the grace of God, and he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, 
And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So that's the first time that term became uh, common, Christian. It started in the church in Antioch, and the Apostle Paul was then there for a full year teaching, and Barnabas, whose name is actually Joseph, Barnabas means son of encouragement, and the, the church had named him that because he was so good at exhorting people in both truth and love and, and encouraging them in their faith, that when the church down in Jerusalem learned what was happening up in Antioch, Barnabas was sent up there. Go encourage them, son of encouragement. Talk to them. And so he went up there, and, and, and then he brought Paul with him. And this became a huge center for centuries, for several centuries. It became one of the main schools of Christian theology. Um, St. John Chrysostom became one of the famous bishops there. There were a number of councils that happened there, all sorts of stuff in Antioch. Now, you know, what's interesting, though, is that place is almost entirely Islamic now. There's a tiny little bit of Christianity in, in there, but very little. People groups are constantly shifting. The world is changing. And the Lord, though, is still building his church in the midst of that. When I do the newcomer's lunch, I am really clear for people that are, are checking out our church about what our mission is. Our job as the church is to make disciples of all the nations. That's the great commission. It's the, it's the last commandment Jesus gave before he ascended. He said, go and make disciples of all the nations. And I want to be clear that Jesus is doing a different job. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. But you go and make disciples. And see, the danger for me as a pastor and for those of us in church leadership is to try and build the church. Try and build the church. And we're working on the church. And the danger, though, is that if you do that, sometimes you don't end up with either disciples or the church. But if you focus on making disciples, the byproduct is always the church. So in, in, this, in this section here, I like how Barnabas encouraged them to remain steadfast to the Lord with, with steadfast purpose, to be intentional. He was exhorting them to be intentional about what they did. So our church, our job is to make disciples. And we see in here disciples being made. And what a powerful thing it is. It's the Lord who's building his church, but it's when they stepped out on purpose and started sharing the gospel that then people were added to their number. And although the Lord does the initiating, it's not until they respond and start sharing the gospel that we see what the Lord was doing behind the scenes. So he's prepared people for hearing this good news. He's prepared people already in your life. Neighbors, family members, co-workers. There are people all around you right now that are being prepared by the Holy Spirit to hear the gospel. And the Lord builds his church through gifted people who are listening to the Holy Spirit. And sometimes he'll have to find somebody else if you and I are not listening to the Holy Spirit. And he will do that. One of the ways that he is building his church is through gifted people. Now I want to jump over to Ephesians for a second and point something out that Jesus conquered sin and death and Satan on the cross and then ascended and then gave gifts to his church for the work of ministry. So it says this, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And then it says, um, and he gave 
the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and mature manhood to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. So you are not saved, if you're a Christian, just for your sake. You are saved into this story of God reaching out to others. Jesus has saved you and he saved me for a purpose. Now, what's interesting, back to the question, who are you? It's interesting that he's given, by his grace, different gifts to different people. So you could almost just look down the row that you're sitting in and recognize the persons, the people on either side of you are not the same as you. And that is by Christ's grace to his church that he's given a diversity of gifts so that the whole body would be built up. So God is building his church through gifted people, and he's given these gifts to you. So even in this church here, this one in Antioch, we see Barnabas, who had the gift of encouragement. Um, We see Saul, who was an apostle, and he was a teacher. He taught for a year. He was their primary speaker, actually, uh, more so than Barnabas. In fact, when they go over to Cyprus, um, they, they name one of them Zeus and one of them Hermes because a miracle occurs through Paul and Barnabas, and the people there start worshiping them, and they say the gods, plural, have come down to us, and they, they called uh, Barnabas Zeus, and they called Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker, because Paul was this teacher, and he was one who's primarily teaching. But it also says there were prophets there, people who were able to hear from God and then share what the Lord was doing in that moment to, to unify, to point, to call the church to faithfulness. There were other teachers. There were evangelists. There were, um, I mentioned apostles, Apostle Paul. There were those with gifts of mercy. If you keep reading, you find out that one of the words that one of the prophets had was that a famine was coming, which actually happened, and the church in Jerusalem started to really suffer under that famine. So those with mercy started to collect up funds to send relief effort through Paul and Barnabas down to Jerusalem. Mercy is a spiritual gift that the Lord has given. Generosity, gifts of administration, all of this is in place as they put their church together. The Lord is building his church through gifted people and then who are listening to the Holy Spirit. How do we listen? Well, in this little section in uh, Acts 13, it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. So notice something about the commissioning of people. The Lord calls and sends and the church calls and sends. So both happen here. The Lord initiates it. And it happens in the midst of a worship service. They were worshiping and they were fasting. They were already seeking the Lord to hear what the Holy Spirit had to say. Then when they think they've heard, they go back and they pray and fast some more. And then they say, yes, this is, this is right. We've heard this right. Now let's send Paul and Barnabas. And then they send them. The way we hear is through the spiritual disciplines. Nobody likes that word, disciplines. But we want to hear what the Holy Spirit has to say. So what we do is we worship on Sunday morning, and then privately, we pray, we fast at times, and we are constantly trying to seek the Holy Spirit. It's when we stop doing those spiritual disciplines that we have trouble hearing. So I want to exhort you, like Barnabas did, to be faithful in these things, to pursue them, to worship even when you don't want to, to pray even when you don't want to, to fast even when you don't want to. Although I don't know many of us have ever really wanted to fast but to fast because it's so helpful for us to hear. Now, the story that we're in is one where the church is very amorphous. It's constantly moving. 
Whereas Antioch was a huge hub for Christianity, now it's primarily Islamic, and it's, and it's a hard mission field to break into. The, in the Anglican world, the Church of England has diminished in its spiritual vigor, and the global south has become incredibly powerful. The folks in Africa, in South Asia, in South America, although they are financially very poor, are really rich spiritually. It is where the bulk of global Anglicanism is now located. And what they're doing is they're saying to us, be faithful, be faithful to the Lord. And years ago, as you know, if you know the story of the, our, our specific church, is we were picked up by the Africans to provide, they provided for us godly oversight so that we could be the church in North America. Because guess what? This is no longer a Christian nation. It's changing. The church is shifting. And the call, this is now the greatest English-speaking mission field in the world. And the need for people who are willing to listen to the Holy Spirit and exercise their gifts for ministry is greater here than it's ever been. You know, something interesting is going to happen at the end of this month. Um, and this is just shows you how, I'm telling you, Acts 29 is being written right now. Church history is in the writing. Our archbishop is overseeing a service up in Wheaton, Illinois at the Provincial Assembly where they are about to consecrate a man named uh, Canon Andy Lines to be the first missionary bishop of the Global Anglican Futures Conference, that whole powerful global south. They're going to consecrate this man and send him to Scotland and Europe to be a missionary bishop because the bishops that are in those positions there are not responding to the call of the faithful to provide good oversight. And they repeatedly have been, they've just been rebuffed as they've asked for help. So finally, they appealed to the global south, and they said, we will respond. We have to help. And now they've said to us in North America, we helped you. Now you help them. And Foley Beach was pleased to do so. And he's done it the right way. He's not being opportunistic. He's not stepping on toes. And I don't really want to encourage you to get too far into the politics of this because it's messy. And you can, you can get lost in the blogosphere. So be careful if you start reading about this. But what's about to happen is a a, a very faithful man is going to be consecrated to go over to Europe and start gathering the faithful together, much like happened here in Antioch, position them for intentional mission to preach the gospel to Europe, which is totally post-Christian. The numbers are so sparse of who's a believer over there. It's a huge mission field as well. And so the story is being written, and the Lord is building his church through gifted people who are listening to the Holy Spirit. That has not changed. Now, for you specifically, while I want to encourage you to find out what your gifts are, there's something like 27 or, or so actual spiritual gifts listed in this book, and you, if you're a Christian, have those. Not all of them, some of them. Do you know what yours are? And then are you using them? The best way to figure out what they are is to intentionally get into relationships with other believers so we have a course called Network that's a morning seminar to kind of teach about spiritual gifts. But then we're really encouraging our church to move towards small group participation through the Alpha program. Dan is overseeing that as his primary focus right now, and we'll launch it again in the fall. And coming out of that, there are other life groups that will be developed. I want to encourage you to get with other Christians so that you can learn who you are and who you're not. So you can see what someone with a gift that you don't have looks like. And one of the things that's so interesting about these gifts is people that have the gift assume everybody else is kind of the same until they get around other people that don't have that gift. And they think, wow, I, I, how do you do that? 
Well, I do it because the Holy Spirit has given me this gift and I'm exercising it. And you have different gifts. Use those. My desire, my longing for our church is that we would be like the church in Antioch, a gifted church listening to the Holy Spirit and and intentional about this mission to make disciples. It's so, so powerful when you see it happen. I'm sure these guys were encouraged when they told about Jesus and then people responded and wanted to, they wanted to come into the church. That only just, it fans into a bigger flame, this fire of the Holy Spirit. It's as you share. So figure out what your gifts are, get plugged into an intentional group, and then go tell the good news. And let's see what the Lord does. He is building his church, and he's called us to make disciples. And he's doing that through gifted people who are listening to the Holy Spirit. So let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you that you use us in our weakness and so display your strength and your glory. Lord, as we, as we have already sung, have mercy on us. We are prone to wander. Lord, that we, we drift away from this mission. Would you call us back to it? Lord, I pray for each person in here that we would know what our spiritual gifts are, that we would see how we can use them to serve you. Lord, I pray especially for this Western culture that has so lost the good news. Lord, would you revitalize your church? Would you, good shepherd of the sheep and Lord of the harvest, would you raise up laborers? We thank you for this plentiful harvest and that you have not given up that you are building your church. And we praise you for that. And for those of us who are Christians, we will forever give you glory that you've called us into this wonderful body of Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.